The 24th of February marked two years since Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine. And while the war rages on and the fate of Ukraine still hangs in the balance, now on our end, we're going to speak with two people who are already working on different aspects of preparing Ukraine for life after the war. Yako Silia is the UN Development Program's resident representative in Ukraine. And this week was part of the Japan-Ukraine conference on the promotion of economic growth and reconstruction. To give you a sense of the scale of the problem Ukraine's facing, the estimated physical damage to Ukraine so far is 152 billion US dollars. That's about 70% of Ukraine's pre-war GDP. And in the last 12 months, the projected cost of recovery shot up 18% to $486 billion over the next decade. Yako, welcome to RN. Thank you, Julian. Very nice to be here. And we're also joined by Paul Heslop, who's the UNDP's program manager for Mine Action. Ukraine's government has estimated 30% of the country is contaminated with landmines and unexploded ordnance, largely along the 1,400-kilometre border with Russia and Belarus. Paul, thank you for joining us as well. My pleasure. I'd like to start this conversation by asking you each just to give us an overview of the scale of the problems that you're tackling. Paul, could you give us your sense of the problem? I think what we're, we're looking at in Ukraine is is something unprecedented since the Second World War. You know, we haven't seen um, this level of fighting, you know, state to state fighting for over 75 years. And just the, the sheer quantity uh, of ordnance that's been fired, as well as you know, mines, cluster munitions, um, and and the sort of more headline-grabbing weaponry, and and to give you an idea, if you know, if only ten percent of the munitions fail, and um, Russia is firing you know twenty to thirty thousand shells a day, that's two to three thousand shells a day that are are unexploded. So after five hundred days of war, we're already looking at between a million and a million and a half unexploded bombs just from artillery. And then, you know, as you mentioned, that up to a third of the country is suspected of being contaminated. And what that actually means is we have two real problems in Ukraine, which is the first one, which is the land that is contaminated, is is extremely contaminated and will require very high levels of expertise and the latest equipment available. And then you've got an even bigger problem, which is what is affecting world food prices and world energy prices, which is huge amounts of land that is suspected but not actually contaminated. Yeah, and how do we find ways to get that land back into productive use as quickly as possible so that we can bring down you know, world food prices and improve world food security? Because you know, a, a loaf of bread being 10 cents a loaf more in Sydney now um, is inconvenient. But if, if a loaf of bread is 10 cents a, a loaf more in, in Kabul or Somalia, that is probably leading to, to children and, and food insecurity and even starvation. Yeah, and maybe just to add on to uh, what I can also mention about the economic recovery, uh, you know, Russians, Russia's full-scale invasion in Ukraine is uh, really having a huge toll on the economic, uh, economic situation in the country. It's also uh, inflicting, uh, you know, untold suffering on the Ukrainian people with profound global implications, as mentioned by Paul. The war has also resulted in rising unemployment uh, and poverty levels. Uh, before the war, the level of poverty was about 5%. It's now increased to 25%. And this is really affecting the income and means uh, of millions of people in Ukraine. And over 7 million people have been pushed, therefore, into poverty since the escalation of the war. 
And even under such circumstances, the Ukrainian businesses are trying to find ways to recover. And uh, this is what we also found in our new uh, study that we conducted for small and medium enterprises, uh, which uh, consists and comprise about 99% of the businesses entities in Ukraine and provides about 74% of all jobs uh, in the labor market. So although there's a a huge opportunities uh, for these uh, companies to uh, help grow the economy. Uh, there's still massive shortages in terms of other areas and labor market shortages that the country is faced with. So on the economic side, the country is really struggling in spite of all the resilience of the Ukrainian people. As you mentioned, uh, we're entering the third year uh, of the war in Ukraine and uh, they continue to suffer huge losses, both economically, but also in many other areas. Yako, I wonder if you could give us a sense of what the challenges are in terms of dealing with these massive problems and, and how the mix occurs between restoration on the one hand and the potential for transformation on the other. Yeah, so I think the, the cost of uh, restoration and recovery in Ukraine is actually huge, uh, as was mentioned uh, in your initial introduction. Uh, you know, the total cost now of the damages and needs is in the region of 486 billion dollars, uh, which is really, you know, astronomical in terms of the cost that the country will have to uh, to pay uh, in terms of, you know, rebuilding uh, the situation. Um, and there's really a lot of happening around the reconstruction. Rebuilding is happening, but it's only in places where it's safe to do so. Uh, so you see some cities in eastern Ukraine have been completely destroyed and there's literally nothing left to rebuild there. And uh, in those areas, uh, the fighting has, in many areas, the fighting hasn't even stopped. Uh, in some towns, uh, everyone has left. There is no point of fixing up a hospital or a school when there is no people and children uh, around. Uh, but, uh, you know, many of the parts of the country's people have chosen to stay put and carry on with their lives. And rebuilding is happening everywhere across the country as well. Uh, so 10% of the total housing stock or houses have been damaged, uh, which affects about 2 million people across the country. And, uh, you know, we're also helping with various initiatives. So what we are identifying is areas like what Paul is doing in demining, but we're also doing debris removal. Uh, we can reconstructing houses, uh, energy and social infrastructure, which was targeted by various missiles and uh, targeted bombings uh, by the Russian Federation. Um, so uh, this is a very important task also to help with the rebuilding of the areas that needs to be done. We've uh, we've uh, um, kind of arranged for the removal of about 150,000 tons, which is about 15,000 large trucks uh, of debris that have been removed. And we have provided technical assistance uh, that help with various reconstruction and other areas as well. So this has benefited about 60,000 people uh, and we also do various apartment uh, restoration buildings and projects. So there's massive reconstruction needs across the country. There's massive social needs and there's also economic needs that the country needs to start rebuilding itself and provide income and jobs uh, for its citizens. We're hearing there from Yako Silia, the UN Development Programs representative in Ukraine. Coming back to you now, Paul Heslop, you gave us a sense of the scale of the mining challenges and decontamination challenges. What sort of potential is there in terms of new techniques to engage with those challenges more quickly than would have been possible previously? I think this is, um, you know, one of the really interesting things about working in Ukraine is that the the tempo of, of technological innovation and, and, and change is really very prevalent here at different levels. I mean, 
obviously this is going out to an Australian audience. You have a, a detector manufacturer called Mind Lab who are working with an American company to create a combination of ground penetrating radar and um, magnetic sensing um, so that you can quickly uh, identify whether an object under the ground that has a metal signal is actually then a mine. Um, and so technology like that will actually speed up the demining process. But we're also using um, drones, UAVs, um, AI interpretation of satellite imagery. Um, we've been doing a project with the Kiev School of Economics and the government um, where they are applying uh, software and AI to look at um, satellite imageries to establish if there is clearly no evidence of mines or contamination, that that land can be then assessed as, as being able to be used. And that project, which has cost under $100,000, has probably released so far in excess of 20,000 square kilometers. You know, so that's 10 times the actual contamination of mines in Afghanistan today has been released through the use of new technologies, just verifying suspect land actually has no indication of mines. Um, and then at the other end of the spectrum, it's able to quickly identify where there are visible mines on the surface or where there's been heavy artillery strikes or bombing. And then again, uh, working on, on a fail rate of you know between 10 and 20%, we can assess from the craters the amount of contamination that we, we need to be looking for. So technology is developing very quickly. And um, I think we will see those extremely large numbers with regard to what it will cost to clear Ukraine come down over the next five years as we develop these technologies and as these technologies roll out. And Paul, you mentioned earlier the clear link between how your operation goes in Ukraine and the potential for access to food, particularly in the developing world. Is that an area that you're particularly targeting? How much demining has been able to occur in the, the sort of the breadbasket areas? There are, I mean, there are obvious challenges because there is still a war going on and, you know, there is no yeah. access at all to the areas under Russian control and the front line, what is called operational demining is taking place where they're actually trying to breach through contamination. And then there's a 20-kilometre buffer zone where, again, very limited access because it is um, it is very easy um, to come under um, artillery strikes. And unfortunately, a number of the government demining teams have been targeted and, and a number of very brave sappers have been killed by airstrikes and artillery strikes. So most of the work at the moment is being done at least 20 kilometers back from the buffer zone. And again, what we're trying to do is identify the land that's contaminated and make sure the land that is cleared has the highest impact. So, you know, if, if a farm has contamination and there is a, for example, say there is a, a high-value cash crop because there's an orchard or that's where vegetables are being produced, you know, we would target that first because you might find that 10% of the land of the farm is actually generating 50 or 60% of the farm's revenue. You know, so there's quite a complex prioritization process that is, is undertaken when we when we look at the contamination in the farm or is it simply there is a belt of mines running across a field and just by breaching through that belt of mines you can access the land safely on the other side so in a sense you're creating a safe corridor through the mine belt to allow farming to take place on either side and then you mark and fence the minefield so that a farmer doesn't inadvertently go into it. 
Yako, Celia, you mentioned earlier the just the mind-boggling figures of displacement that have occurred in Ukraine. And I think we're familiar with the way that a war effort can change, in particular, the gender dynamics of an economy. <coughs> but also with challenges like mining, you'll have presumably an unprecedented challenge of dealing with uh, a workforce that might be living with disabilities after the war. How are those sort of factors uh, playing into the planning that you're doing at the UNDP? Yeah, indeed. Uh, you know, there is a general uh, understanding that uh, it has affected the gender balance in Ukraine significantly. Uh, you can imagine with both mobilization and mass displacement, as you mentioned, about 6.5 million refugees, which means people outside of Ukraine that have left Ukraine and almost 4 million what we call internally displaced people. Those are people living still in Ukraine, but are not in their original places or homes. They had to leave those because of the war. So they've really affected also not only the labor pool, but also how the country is trying to rebuild itself. You can also imagine that this has led to a brain drain and capital drain of significant proportions that the country is also trying to address. So uh, what we see is that there are indeed work shortages, uh, you know, but there's also a, a significant increase uh, in people with disabilities uh, and war-related injuries. Uh, this is increased by about 7.4%. And before the war, for instance, there were some uh, 3 million people with disabilities. Uh, but this means that we, have, we need to create a supportive business environment for all, especially with the increase of people with disabilities. Uh, so fostering an inclusive and support, uh, supportive uh, environment specifically for vulnerable groups is really important, including for women, uh, youth, uh, internally displaced people, veterans, people with disabilities, uh, and helping them also create job and opportunities uh, for income generation is really an important part of the work that we focus on as well. Well, you're both certainly taking on just stupendously large tasks, but thank you very much for joining us on our end to discuss those challenges. Thank you very much. Thank you. And we were speaking there with Yako Silia, who is the United Nations Development Program's resident representative in Ukraine, and Paul Heslop, who's the UNDP's program manager for Mine Action in Ukraine. And both of them were speaking to us from Kyiv. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.